you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to NFL Films' Tales from the Vault. I'm Pro Football Hall of Fame journalist Andrea Kramer. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations between the late president of NFL Films, Steve Sable, and some of the greatest figures in NFL history. We've dug into the vault to find these original interviews, and now you get to hear them. Think of the show as a time capsule, taking you back to a specific period of a player or coach's career. Now, I'm here to help guide you, provide context and insights into some of these lost treasures, as we used to like to call them at NFL Films. Let's head into the vault to visit with one of the more unique characters in NFL history. This is Steve Sable's 1984 conversation with Deacon Jones. Deacon Jones was one of the most memorable characters back in the 1960s, the man who provided the identity for the fearsome foursome. I love those old days when there were cool nicknames for defenses. Remember the purple people eaters in Minnesota, the steel curtain in Pittsburgh, and of course, the fearsome foursome in Los Angeles. The Rams defensive line consisted of Jones, Merlin Olson, Lamar Lundy, and Rosie Greer. And they really were feared. But Merlin Olson was, was the nice guy, you know, that big old burly guy and Deacon. Well, he was hardly the soft-spoken religious leader his name would imply. Jones retired after the 1974 season where he played one year with Washington. Fun fact, in his final game there, head coach George Allen let Jones kick the extra point on Washington's final touchdown of a 42 to nothing blowout over the Bears. This interview took place in 1984 which just so happens to be the first year I began working as a producer at NFL Films. So back then, we did everything. Our own research, editing, writing, scoring music, sound mixing. But today, those jobs are specialized. 
So in the same way that television production was different back then, so too was the NFL. And the league in the 1960s, well, they didn't have the protection for players like they do now. Suffice it to say, the emphasis on player safety has come a long way. In this interview, you'll hear Deacon talking about the head slap, which was outlawed in 1977. He laments the use of situational substitution, which, for the most part, was just starting to creep its way into the game in the early 80s when this interview was conducted. So, you know how I told you that this show is like a time capsule? Well, this one really is. The league back then was so incredibly different. Violence permeated the game even more so than today. Dirty play was commonplace in the trenches and often went unchecked. I mean, we even have shots of coaches smoking on the sidelines during a game from the 1960s. Hello, Norm Van Brocklin. But I want to point something out to you sort of from a technical standpoint. The interview you're about to hear isn't like the ones we featured before on this podcast. No, Steve isn't sitting in a church somewhere with Deacon, even though with his name, you kind of would expect him to. In fact, the two are actually in a studio. Steve is not on camera, nor is he on mic. But this conversation that took place with one of the most colorful characters in NFL history was just too good not to share with you all. So let's go to the vault. Here's Steve Sable and Deacon Jones. Deacon, when you started your career, is it true that in the beginning you were so green you couldn't even get the stance right? I heard that you couldn't, that your stance was horseshit, that you couldn't even, that your stance was bad. Is that true? Well, Steve, you know, I... Uh... I was probably one of the greenest football players that ever came in the NFL. I had a I had a particular tough time uh, when I came up because uh, I did not have uh, the background or the fundamental background that I needed. So I had to really be aggressive and I had to really be in top physical condition. So I I came into camp at a lean, mean 255 pounds and I could outrun daylight. And uh, I made a lot of mistakes, but because I was quick and fast, I was able to make up for it. I remember one, one instance uh, in training camp, John Arnett was carrying the ball off tackle. Tom Wilson laid a good block. It was a regular sweep play, power sweep off the left side, and Tom Wilson laid a great block on me. And I was down and up and had Arnett before he made one step past me. And that was the type of thing that probably made me make the team. It was, was, was Don Paul, who was my defensive coach then, saw in me that I, could, I had the potential to be a great football player. What about, where'd you go to college? I know you went to South. There was another place that I really couldn't even pronounce the goddamn name of the place. What are the two places? Well, you know, Steve, basically I, I spent most of my time at San Quentin University. But no, I, I went to South Carolina State um, in a school called Mississippi Vocational in Itabina, Mississippi. I didn't stay there too long. You know, that, that was just a little too small for the Deacon. I don't usually jump in here this early in the interview, but the story behind Deacon Jones' college career is really pretty amazing. Davy Jones, yeah, and yeah, that's what he was known as back then. And keep that in mind when we go back to the interview. Well, Davy Jones started his college career at South Carolina State. But after participating in a civil rights protest on campus, the school revoked his and many of his teammates' scholarships. But things got worse. When one of the assistant coaches from South Carolina State got the head coaching job at Mississippi Vocational, which eventually became Mississippi Valley State, he brought Jones and his expelled teammates to play there. To say they weren't exactly welcomed, well, that would be an understatement. It's one thing to get kicked out of school, but Jones and his teammates from South Carolina State were literally run out of town following the football season, driven to the state line by Mississippi police. 
fearing for their lives. That was it for Deacon Jones' college career. Talk about a different time. This is just an example of the types of things that players of that era had to endure and overcome. The most amazing part of the story, perhaps? Jones found out a few months later he was drafted in the 14th round by the Rams. Another difference between then and now? In 1961, the draft had 20 rounds. Remember, today there's only seven. As we head back to the interview, I told you to remember Davy Jones, right? How'd you get the nickname? You know, Deacon, Deacon was a public relations stunt. Uh, I needed a, a nickname when I came into the game. My, my real name is David Jones. And you look at the LA phone book, you see 25 or 30 David Joneses in there. And I needed something to set me apart from the rest of the pack, other than the fact that I was the best football player. Deacon goes well with Jones, and you know the rest. <laughs> when you were talking about speed, now how fast were you? I mean, is there some way we can relate that to? Is there, is, uh, you were the fastest on the team, the fastest lineman, the what, how, or how fast? I, I would safely say at this point in time, I was the fastest in the history of the game. Um, from a from a dead standstill. I was a sprinter in college, and I used to practice a great deal against my brother, who was extremely fast. So I mean, I was clocked a little uh, about around 4.5 seconds in the 40 at 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 about 255, 260. So, but my lateral movements, along with my initial speed, was just fantastic. What about the the um, story about you and Bobby Mitchell? Or how, well, tell that story. <laughs> well, you know, Bobby was a fine outside receiver, and. And during that period of time, you know, I just, you know, my my uh, my approach to the game was to just run, 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 run. When the whistle when the whistle blow, I'd run from whistle to gun. And there was a short out pattern thrown to Bobby, about a five yard out. And the cornerback came up, took a shot at the interception, and missed. And Bobby broke in the open field. And at that time, I, I you know, on a, on a quick five yard out pattern, all you can do is get your hands up, try to knock the ball down, and turn in pursuit. So when I turned to pursue, Bobby broke in the open. It was me and him. He had about a five, six-yard head start on me. And uh, I ran alongside of him, I guess, for about 15, 20 yards before I unleashed a devastating attack on his head. Uh, but I just had to find out myself if I could outrun an outside receiver. And at that point in time, I, I would have probably beat him by five, six yards in the 40. How did you – now I want to talk about the – was there one particular aspect of your game, Deke, that you took particular pride in? I mean, every, otherwise we did Bob Lilly, Willie Davis, yourself, and, and Merlin. Is there somebody, is there some aspect of the game you look back and say, God damn it, I was the best at that one? Or is there or so one move that you liked or one thing you took particular pride in? Well, without a doubt, my top priority, and I, 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 would, I would think that I put more time into, into perfecting the pass rush than, than, than probably anything else. Although I worked on the, on, the, on the complete phase of the game across the board. But pass rush was, was one thing that set me apart from the pack. And I think to the day, I think to the day my approach to pass rush still set me apart from the rest of the pack. My consistency in pass rushing. By that I mean, by that I mean no matter how many men you sent at me, I still found a way to put pressure on the, on the quarterback. Now you don't always tackle a quarterback, but, but to put consistent pressure on him every down is the, is the, is the key to the whole situation. Now I developed the thing they call a head slap. And, um, and I also developed a, a term that is used in the game right now called sacking the quarterback, which to me, I got paid uh, extra money for sacking the quarterback, so I put in extra hours on the practice field learning moves that would help me in the game. Okay, both, most of your linemen to this day work on, on their first in, in initial move. 
when they come off the ball. If the lineman take that away from him, he's, he's sitting there or he's standing there in, in, in one general area and he's not doing anything. He's sort of like in no man's land. But my whole approach was to develop a alternative, a move from the move. In other words, when you stop this one, I got something to put right in on top of you. You spin, you, 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 you play off the block, you do anything that you can to put consistent pressure on the quarterback. And then, and then developing the head slap. The head slap was to do two purposes. One was to give myself an initial head start on the pass rush. In other words, an extra step. Because anytime you go upside a man's head, they have a tendency to blink their eyes or close their eyes, and that was all I needed. Uh, Gail Sears had a statement out that all he needed was 16 inches. Well, all I needed was a blink of the old eyes, and I was by you. And that's what the head slap was. And then also, when you ran into a player like Conrad Dobler, you know, going upside that head stopped the biting and the chewing and all that other stuff, you know. So it kept the, con the holding uh, controlled, and it also gave me an extra step on the pass rush. No doubt pass rushers in the 1960s had um, some different moves in their toolbox, if you will. One being the head slap, which at that point in the game was legal, or more accurately, not illegal. And the biting and chewing Deacon was talking about from Conrad Dobler Let's just say battles along the line of scrimmage were a little more no-holds-barred than they are today. And Dobler, the all-pro tackle with the St. Louis Cardinals and Bills, was notorious for his less-than-clean play. So how would Deacon take on a player like Dobler, who, by the way, was featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the NFL's dirtiest player? Well, Steve got Jones to play a little show-and-tell. How could, you, how could you demonstrate just, you don't have to stand up, you use an open well, hand. Well, sometimes, Steve, I use an open hand, most of the time. But, you know, when I wanted to punish a guy for holding me or doing some kind of illegal block, then I'd close a fist and go upside the head. But anyway, it's a blow right upside the head. Okay, that's the first initial blow. And then you have to tie that in with getting off the football real fast. You have to, you know, if you notice my career, I used to get called for offside a lot. But see, getting off the football is where it all starts. And you got to anticipate the count most of the time. So when I came off the football with this enormous speed and upside the head, outside or inside or both, you know, the man closes his eyes or if you hit him from the outside, his body shifts one way because he goes with the blow and that's all you need. And then the, this arm comes up under and rips him up and then you slide underneath and around to the quarterback. And then you, you can set that move up. Once you get him leaning outside, then you come back inside with the same move to the inside of the hill, helmet, and you get his head turned this way, and then boom, you're around it. If you got good speed, a gentleman like Mark Gaston, though, could, could, really, could really utilize that move. He had more use of his hands. If you notice, he has, two, he has two problems as far as a defensive end is concerned, although he's a great football player, and potentially he can be as great as he wants to be. But he needs work on playing the inside run, and also he needs alternative moves from his normal pass rushing game because the boys are doubling and tripling you now, and you've got to have a way to go. But I, I'd like to work with him about one week or two weeks, and I guarantee you he would be the most devastating end other than myself. How about the statement you made once I want to talk about, about if you ever knocked the quarterback out of the game, would you feel any remorse about that, or was that, uh, was that part of the game or what? Well, I played the game tough and hard nose. And every man I played against went down looking at me. And I, 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 I can pride myself in one thing, uh, Steve, I never in my life hit a man illegally. Um, and I never would accept anyone hitting me illegally. Now, when that happens, then you must serve justice. Um, and if you don't know how to serve justice, then you're gonna get kicked around the league. 
I didn't have too many times when uh, when uh, someone did something illegal because I played it clean. And usually when you play it clean, the guys reciprocate. Uh, I had an incident happen to me in San Francisco when Dick Nolan was head coach of the 49ers. He put in a he put in a play where John David Crow, who was then the tight end, would flank out to the sideline, and then he'd come in motion back toward the line of scrimmage. And just as the ball is snapped, when I'm coming out looking in like this, John David Crow came in right here. Well, outside the ends during that period of time, that's the illegal clip zone. And and not only that, you could lose both your knees and, and probably your life if you're not careful. So I told John Brody, who was a the quarterback then, if he ran that again, that'd be his last play. So John refused to run it again. Then I went in the locker room, the 49ers locker room, and I approached Mr. Nolan and I told him, I expressed my dissatisfaction about that type of play because there's no room in the game for illegal illegal blocks or illegal situations. If you want to take a man out, it's very easy to do, looking him square in the eye. And that was my whole approach in the game. I wanted to put as much fear into his heart and as much pain on his back as I possibly could. <laughs> How did you coin the phrase sack, Deke? Where did you get the idea for that? Well, you know, sacking the cornerback is just like, um, like you... Like you devastate a city. I mean, it's just like, like you put all the off, offensive players in one bag and I just take a baseball bat and beat on the bag. Okay, we just found a term. I mean, it was just, it was just, it probably, probably came from some word we was using in the locker room, you know? And then at that time, I was getting a lot of media coverage. And I probably said it to some writer and, and then you know how that type of thing compounds itself. Dick Butkus was saying earlier that when he made a tackle, he felt he was sending a message to the people that he was tackling. And I said that, I mean, he was unique and then he would tackle because you always have him wrestling guys around and everything. Uh. How did you look on just the tackle itself? I mean, was it just to get the guy down or you want to label him a little bit or was it? Well, you know, Butkus is my idol, whether you know it or not. I'm, his his form, his type of play was just devastating. I, I always admired him and the times that I I wanted, I played in the Pro Bowl with him. I, I always wished that we could go a season together and see just how many people we could really beat up. Um, my approach was basically the same as his. Uh, George Allen taught me that when you're tackling a man, every time you hit him, you got to make him pay. You got to make him know that when he comes in your territory, he's going to get the best you got. I never thought about hurting a guy. I, I, I always thought that if, if I hit him and break his neck, then I'd be the first to send him flowers. Um, my, my whole point was, was pretty much like Butkus. I, I wanted to hit, when I hit, and, and put my back into it, you know, boom. I mean, that's gonna provide that shot that's gonna probably knock the ball loose or let that, uh, put the intimidating fear of God into that, that, that running back. Let him know and make him go back to that huddle and tell his quarterback, damn it, I'm not running in Deacon Jones area anymore. So each time he came over there, I tried to tear his damn head off. Without, with no remorse in my heart, I tried to put him in the hospital every time I tackle him. What about the... The, um, the psyching out, which was very important. Now, what, did you have any conversation? I mean, Butkus had a whole thing where he'd have a, he'd swear at guys and oh. try to break their concentration. Or were your, were your psyching out take place before the game? My psyching out went the whole week and right through Sunday. I'd talk about his mother. I'd call him nasty names. I'd do anything I could to make him either jump offside, make a quick move or bad move, and I'd, I'd get the upper hand on it. Uh, I always felt I always felt that the game is psychological, and I did put try to intimidate my opponent during the course of the week, because I always knew that I was in top shape, and no matter what I said to him or how mad he got, he still had to come out on that field and play me. 
could nobody help him. He had to play me. So if I wanted, if I chose to talk about him, if I chose to say nasty things about him, I did that. And it had nothing to do with anything else. It was just trying to get the upper hand and get the edge. And it does give you the edge because it, with all the, with all the um, information one has to remember in the game, George Allen had almost 1,500 plays and audibles galore. So, you know, and he could pull one out the head on you any time. So you had to be, if you can get a guy to, to miss the count or forget about his assignment, well, you got an edge. And if, and if talking about his mother or his wife or his kids would do that, then that's the way it is. And if you didn't like it, then the man is going to snap the ball next play. You can do something about it. The great thing about Deacon is that his play really backed up all his talk. But you have to know this. Deacon is saying all these things with a smile on his face. And even though he's been retired for a decade at this point, his on-field persona was always present. He really makes you feel like he's still lining up every Sunday. When we come back, Steve and Deacon get into some of the finer points of competition, as if we haven't already heard some of his finer points. Stay tuned. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. Consider the intimidation factor for an opponent knowing he was going up against a man nicknamed the Secretary of Defense. I've always found that players who get notoriety for their physical play often get overlooked for their preparation. Jones studied the game, and when he discovered a tell, a a tip-off of an opponent, his game was even more dominant. How about the tip-offs? Anybody you play against, Steve, that you remember there were tip-offs that you had? Uh, Johnny Unitas, the great Johnny Unitas, uh, the guy I think probably was the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, of course, you know, a lot of people uh, 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 say that uh, other people were, but I, my, my choice would be Johnny Unitas. Well, John had two things that he would do all the time. The first time that he got to call a play inside the 20-yard line, it was always a draw play. Number two, uh, John would always go on the count of two, 95% of the time the count of two. And then on his quick counts, it's the way he would walk up to the line. You know, normally he'd walk, he'd walk up to the line and he'd stand behind the quarterback, I mean, behind the center, you know, and, and call his audible. 
Okay, when it's a quick count, he walks straight from the hull up to the center, boom. Okay, but you could you could bet your bottom dollar on the fact that 95% of his counts would be on two. And that gave, that's why we had a, some great pass rushing days on Mr. United's because we'd, we'd go into our role and start, so to speak. We'd anticipate, we knew we'd gonna be offside four or five times, but it was worth it because it gave us a role and start on the, on the pass rush. What about uh, anybody ever try to psych you? Anybody you can think of uh, ever try to psych well, you? Well, probably, probably in my early days, um, that 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 tried to happen. I, I tell you, when you, since you're talking about psych jobs, I I, I remember um, uh, Donna, or not Donahue, but McDonough, John McDonough, who was a referee. He died, and John did a book, and in that book, um, he he told the story that happened between Gene Upshaw and I down in San Diego. It was I was captain of a San Diego defensive unit, and Gene was the offensive captain for the Raiders. And we met it. Uh, we met for the coin toss before the game, and uh, I was really hopped up at that point because the Raiders and Chargers has a has a pretty tough rivalry match there. So we were all ready, you know. And I came out to try to get my upper hand on Upshaw. And uh, when when uh, McDonough called us all together, you know, and uh, he tossed a coin. He asked Gene. He said, uh, Gene, what do you what do you want to do? You want to kick or receive? And Gene said. He said, I, I, I'll kick and receive. Well, you know, you can't have both. But I said, hold it, uh, Donahue. I said, let him have both. I'm going to kick his ass anyway. I said, give him both. You know, so we went at it with a verbal exchange right there at midfield, and McDonough just fell out laughing. I mean, you know, <laughs> Gene and I were serious as a heart attack, but McDonough thought we was really kidding, you know, but we wasn't. But that was a real funny scene. But you try to get your sights in, and uh, I think everybody in the game does that in every sport. Your reputation... It's a very distinctive reputation. Stallbach had one, Butkus has one, Bart Starr, and yourself. Did you ever feel that was a burden, that that, that reputation, that you're almost like a gunfighter, that coming out every Sunday, that you have every young kids trying to knock you off? Did you ever feel sometimes, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, or or maybe I should have kept quiet, or, or was that a reputation that made you even play better? No, I, I never felt sorry about anything I said. You see, you I guess you each, each personality... Um, I think his whole his whole approach to the game is predicated on his upbringing, what type of lifestyle he had prior to going into football. See, football is a gruesome game. It's a we're the modern day Roman gladiators. I mean, the only difference between us and the Roman gladiators is we got referees and we don't fight to the death. But but that's exactly what we are. Now, my background, I came from a rough neighborhood. Okay, I led gangs. I had to I I, I assumed leadership in the early days. You know, and, and if we were going to go out and beat up somebody, we went out and beat up somebody. And I led that attack. So I had no problem with football. And when I, what I said is what I believed at the time. And I never felt sorry for anything I said. I was misquoted in some cases, but, I mean, we all, we have that. We have that, and you have to accept that. But I think that uh, uh, I said what I believed, and I tried to execute everything that I said. Uh, if, I, if, I was gonna, if I was gonna get a quarterback, or if I was gonna get somebody, I got them. And I, I worked that week to prepare myself to do that. And I like to think that with that approach to the game, attack, 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 I walked out totally unmarked. And I think that that record in itself, 14 years in the pros and four in college and three in high school, is second to none. I have no scratches, no marks, and nothing but a bleeding heart. All right. Here's an interesting quote I want you to react to. There's a psychologist that wrote something about defensive players. And he said, when you're discussing a successful defensive football player, you are not necessarily drawing the profile of an entirely healthy person. 
Why would he, why would a psychologist say something about that about your profession like that? Well, he's probably an offensive player. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that I think that um, uh, probably back in the '60s we had one of these guys that came into camp. Okay, and he did a he did a, a personality analysis by position. And when he got to when he got to uh, the defensive line, we were always a type that drove fast cars, and we were the loudest in bars. We drank the most. We we wore probably the most expensive clothes. Everything we did was on the upkeep. Well, when you when you break that down and you look at the offensive lineman, and he's the guy that drives a station wagon, and he has five six kids. He's the he's the family guy. He goes home every night. He's not gonna he's not gonna get on television and say I'm gonna knock the hell out of this guy. He's not gonna do that. His personality don't match up that way. Well, I like to think that because our game is attack, aggressive attack, and you got to kill a mosquito with an axe. I would think that our personalities uh, puts that type of thing out. It lets the people know that we are an animal, so to speak, because down in the pit, you got to be that. You're attacking. You're not absorbing. Offensive players absorb. They take blows. When you give blows, your personality is going to be like that. And you, you're going to be involved in fast things, and your lifestyle is going to be of the fast nature. How would, if you were playing today and they were doing the situation substitution, how would you react to that? I'd retire. I'm, I come to play 60 minutes of football. And I could not, you see, you got to study the man. You got to feel the man. You got to get in the flow of pass rush. You got to get in the flow of the game. I don't see how no one can get into the flow of the game coming in and out. Um, I tried I tried that my last year with George Allen, playing on a, on that type of situation. And, uh, and it's just, I never got warmed up, never got into the flow of the game, never could use any of the stuff that I studied all week on the man because sometimes you got to wait on that tip to, to, to avail. Um, it, sometimes it may not come to the third quarter, the fourth quarter, and you just got to you don't you don't know that until you feel it, you know. And you get into the flow of playing football, and you can't do it running in and out. I think my personal opinion about this such situation substitution stuff is that I, I I would not have been the type of player, you know, to 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 deal with that type of thing for the simple reason that I had to get into the flow of the game. I had to I had to feel my man out. I did a lot of study on the game. Um, when you play for George Allen, you learn how to study the game of football, and you do it on your own time, and you learn how to find weaknesses. Well, to utilize those weaknesses, you got to be on the field of play. And, all the, and also, I think that the reason that we are into a heavy situation, substitution situation, it gets the coach involved in the game. The coach now has gone to the media attention. You know, they can get jobs. See, John Madden was, John Madden did such a fantastic job for CBS, and and Dick Vermeil is doing a good job for NBC, I think. Now the coaches are saying, well, we better get involved in this game so we can get in TV too. Well, let me tell you, I also believe that you got to put 11 out there on offense and 11 on defense and let's go at it. And the only time we make changes is when you got an injury. But I think that, that, that makes for a good football game and you get into the flow of it. And I don't think that you can get into the flow of it coming in and out. It's so interesting to hear this, considering that coaches today count on a defensive line rotation to keep their players fresh. Imagine what Deacon Jones would have to say about that. But he played in an era when situational substitution wasn't a thing. Back then, you had to play 60 minutes. And players didn't even have access to the types of elite training facilities and cutting-edge programs that they do today. Sure, they could lift weights, but oftentimes it was up to the players to get themselves ready for the football season. 
Now, look, I've spent a lot of time learning about and observing players' training techniques. And yes, I've actually run the famous hills with Jerry Rice. But here, Steve unearths one of the more unique training regiments I've ever heard about. Now, without giving anything away, imagine what it must be like seeing Deacon Jones doing this when you're out for a day at the beach. Any secret drill, Deke, that you use to... The reason, the reason I don't have no... I don't have no uh, no cuts on my knees. That's the secret. I'll tell you right now in America why I don't have no cuts on my knees, and oh, I didn't spend no time in the local hospitals. What was what was the? Oh, you ready? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know I was on camera. Yeah. But no, I I trained from the from my rookie year right straight through my career on the beach with combat boots on, five pound weights on each ankle. And I did all my exercises, all my running and hard sprinting, and I in the deep sand at the beach, okay? I did that all during the off season and my prior, my prior training and going into training camp. Now, what that does for you, when you run in there about six months in that deep sand, never never on a track or never on a football field, okay, keep them weights on my ankles. Well, in in most knee operations, or most knee injuries, rather, that it's because, your number one, fatigue gets set in, and on impact, when the leg is planted, you get that. Well, you're going to get a cartilage there. But if the knee's always doing this, no matter what the case is, if they're always doing this and you hit it, you get that. Okay? And all the pressure is off the cartilages and the ligaments. Well, to do that for 60 minutes of football, you got to go through that type of training. In other words, when I came out of there, it helped me improve my speed, improve my leg drive, and it improved my overall approach to the game. And I, I like to think that that was 95% of the reason I did not get any leg injuries or any other injuries. I was in superb condition, and my legs were allowed to do this at all times. Never, never had to worry about fatigue. Deacon wasn't kidding about coming out of the game unscathed. He missed a grand total of five games in 14 seasons. And it's even more remarkable considering that player protections, especially for defensive players in the trenches, were not a priority when Jones played. When we come back, Steve has Deacon scout some of his biggest rivals and puts him on the spot about his favorite teammates and coaches. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. You know those NFL Top 100 shows where players talk about other players and tell stories about what made them so great or easy or hard to play against? Well, it's interviews like this that supply all that great material. Steve often liked to end his interviews asking his subjects about their teammates and opponents. Now, a lot of times, guys would just say positive things, not wanting to diss one of their peers. But this is Deacon Jones we're talking with here. He was not shy about talking about some of the game's greats. He didn't mince words about anyone. So I'll give you a brief background about some of the names you're about to hear. Merlin Olson was Jones' teammate with the Rams and one of the members of the famed Fearsome Foursome. Fran Tarkenton and Bart Starr, eh, just a couple of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. George Allen was Deacon's coach in Los Angeles and Washington. Dick Buckus, well, if you don't know who he is, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast anyway but he was the legendary linebacker for the Bears. The last two players Deacon will be talking about are Gail Sayers and Jim Brown, two of the greatest running backs of all time. Here's a couple guys I want you to talk about you played with or against. Merlin Olsen. Merlin Olsen, to me, was probably the greatest defensive tackle to, to play the game. Probably I'd get a lot of flack from Dallas because Bob Lilly ain't no pushover. But I, I, I say because he was my teammate and and... And if I had to pick the player, the first player I wanted to start out with, it would be Merlin. Merlin had a lot of attributes, and I'm, I'm very proud of one thing about him. He, you never could rile him. You never could make him mad. Even Conrad Dobler couldn't make him mad. Merlin was a nice guy, strong, physically strong. He'd always try to beat his man the way the book said. You know, a couple of times I said, Merlin, let me have this turkey. You know, a guy be holding him or biting him or doing something crazy. Tactic and Merlin won't retaliate that way. He'll try to humiliate the guy through beating him to the quarterback or making a tackle or doing something in his area that caused more attention. He never did concentrate on that phase of the game, and I, I respect him for that. And also his ability to know what the hell he was doing out there. He, it was just like a right arm. I mean, it was just like, just like a 50-year-old wife. You know, when he wasn't in there, I mean, you knew the difference. You knew the difference because there were so many things that, that allowed me to rush the passer, I could give up to Merlin. See, because he could take that whole area over there on the run on the run side. And if we wanted to gamble to free me on a pass rushing situation or run a stunt, or run a stunt in a crazy situation. See, me and Merlin would run stunts inside the 10-yard line. Well, not very many defensive combinations would do that. But then again, we are the only defensive combination in the Hall of Fame, too. <laughs> How about what was it like... Uh... Playing uh, against, I want to start with the Fran Tarkenton. Tarkenton was a pain in the ass. He, 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 um, you know, he scrambled so much. And, and Fran was very, very fast. You know, a lot faster than people gave him credit for. His ability to make quick cuts, stop on a dime, change directions. I, I almost threw my shoulder out three or four times when I thought I had him. And I, I went for the kill and I missed. You know, and when you're out here with that forearm, man, you know, and if you don't connect with something, all this in here will go. And I almost did that a couple of times, so I had to let that go. And I just tried to, he's probably the only football player I went into just trying to get him down. 
and the hell with time to knock him out. <laughs> Did you ever remember a quarterback that was particularly sassy or to you or something that, that you'd sack and that he'd, he'd, he'd piss, get pissed off or challenge you? Or would most of them just say, well, nice job, Mr. Jones or everything? Do you remember anything? Well, you know, you don't, for the most part, you never got you never got any sassiness from a quarterback because he was in such a vulnerable position. But you did have certain guys that would say certain things, and normally it would be the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, I think uh, uh, Atlanta Falcons had a quarterback by the name of Bob Berry. <laughs> we were playing the Falcons in the early days. And um, um, you see, I've never lost a game to the Falcons during my period of time in the NFL. And I, at that time, had dislocated my thumb, and I wore a half cast on my thumb. Well, I wore that cast for about two and a half years because it made a hell of a weapon when I passed rush with it, you know. Of course, I would wrap it with a thin layer of, of form, you know. But Mr. Berry said a, a, a comment to me um, in Atlanta, and uh, Linden, Eric Linden, was playing tackle. And at the time, he was a pigeon. So I blew by him on the next play, and just as I got to Barry, I dropped that cast out just like that and kept going. And I caught him right up under here with it. And his helmet flew off down the field. The helmet was down with me because I kept going. I hit him and kept going. And he stood there for a minute. I said, no, he cannot take my best stuff. And then, boom, he crumbled. You know, he was out like a light. How about uh, Bart Starr? And he was just the opposite. I mean, was there something that you ever felt guilty about really hitting him hard? Or, or he was such a nice guy? It's always apologizing. You know, I mean, you know, you hit him, he apologized to you. Bart was such a nice guy. Bart sent me a telegram when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame. I mean, um, he, was, he, was, he, was a, he was a guy that you respect, and you play hard against because he played hard against you. But, you know, you, 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 you didn't, I don't know what it was. I thought I was really going after his head, but when I look at the film, I let him go a lot of times because he was a nice guy. Unitas was the same kind of guy. Why did you just say... You cocksucker, you don't belong here. Don't say nice things, you know. Was there any player in your career that you really enjoyed playing against all the time? Yes, I enjoy playing against Monty Stickles. He's, he's not, not Monty Clark, I'm sorry. Monty Clark, he's now the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Monty was the offensive right tackle. And I have to say, during the time that they had, we had the second-place game down in Miami, we called it the Losers Bowl. Uh, the second-place teams played a, played a playoff game down there. We beat Dallas 35-31-0 down there. We beat Cleveland 31-3. And uh, each time I was the most valuable player. And every time I played against Monty, I had, a, I had one of them super games. Well, down there, down there after a good week of, of flings and good times, you know, I, I think I had, 22, I had 22 unassisted tackles on Monty. And about six, about six sacks on the quarterback, a block punt, and a block, a block extra point, and a block field goal. And uh, I won the most valuable player of both years. And I would have to say that that uh, that I, I think I had the intimidating factor in on money, and I, I think I had his number because I never had a bad game against him. I wanted to talk uh, George Allen. He was an interesting personality as a coach. I mean, he seemed to have that boyish enthusiasm, and yet he was sort of a devious kind of a guy. And I remember you know, a lot of stories about him talking with Fred Dreyer about how he liked his cho stack his chocolate chip cookies at night. A lot of really weird. Do you remember things about Allen that struck you kind of strange or things that he would do that were kind of a little unusual? Uh, uh, George and I were very, very close. Um, as far as I'm, as, as far as I'm, uh, exploits in the game was concerned, we. He's the type of man that is very, very dedicated. He's the type of man that, that 
puts in a lot of hours. I think some of them are unnecessary, but that's the way he see it. He puts in a lot of hours. There's nothing or no phase of the game that he don't cover during the week prior to playing a team. He, he forces you to study the game and he forces you to learn it. He gives you a lot of material to work with. He, he gives you that individual coaching and teaching on the field and also in the, in the classroom that you need to become a good football player. And when you go into a game, you know that there is not one phase of it to fight you because you have been prepared and you've studied everything that could possibly happen to you that Sunday. And if there is an adjustment that has to be made, you can, you can make it on the sideline because he gives you that much material and you know it so well. Well, we have long practices, and that's what a lot of the young Rams didn't like. Those, those two-hour and 45-minute practices, they don't like that. And then the hard running. But then we were never out-conditioned by nobody. See, we were in the fourth quarter. We, we won probably 60% of our games in the fourth quarter because we were in better prepared, better prepared and in better condition. Well, a lot of guys didn't like George's methods, okay? I liked them because they were successful for me. Um, I needed his type of domination, his type of leadership, his type of, of, of individual coaching techniques. I needed that personally. So I, I nominated him to be my presenter in the Hall of Fame for the simple reason that had it not been for that special attention, I would not have been the football player that I was. And then he took my game, and he did not try to change my game. He created and cultivated and, and, and directed the defense around my skills because he knew they were unusual and they were dominating. We invented the five-man line under George. You know, I was getting double-teamed and triple-teamed outside, and it was, it was hindering my pass rush. So we created a five-man line, took out a middle linebacker, put me over the center to create the one-on-one -on -one situation. So we did a lot of things and a lot of innovative moves in order to free me up and put me into the flow of the defense, which I think was a, a, which a lot of responsibility he gave me, and I adhered to it, and I answered the bell because he would work the hell out of you and that's the only way you can be a great football player. You got to, you got to work and work and work. Dick Butkus. Well, the only thing I can say about the great Dick Butkus, I'll say it in, the, in, the, in a poem. Roses are red and violets are blue. If you got any sense, you'll keep Butkus away from you. I think he hated everybody that was in another uniform. And he played just like that. I remember we were doing some uh, commercials, some light beer commercials, and... Uh, Mr. Butkus was sitting on the set, you know, it was in between shots. And he was sitting there, and this was in the early days when he first started doing the, the commercials. And he was sitting there just like he was getting ready for a game. You know, he was, he, you know, he's sitting with his head down and just gritting his teeth, man. I said, Dick, I said, don't put a light beer bottle in your mouth, man, because you'll saw it off, you know. He, and here's a man sitting there with nine knee operations, and he couldn't play if, if they offered him a million a minute. But he was just that intense. He was an intense football player. He was an animal. And he was a well-conditioned animal, and every time he hit you, he tried to put you in the cemetery, not the hospital. <laughs> Last question, Gail Sayers. What was it like to play against him? It was terrible. I mean, I never wished any man any bad luck in my life, and I know Gail real well. But for a man to make a Hall of Fame in three years, you know he got to be an animal. He's got to be the, the toughest running back I think ever played the game, other than Jim Brown. Well, Jim Brown was a different kind of runner. Gail Sayers could beat you straight ahead, he could beat you left, right, and with dazzling speed. I mean, with speed that he could hit a hole quicker than anybody I ever seen. I remember in one Pro Bowl game, Johnny Unitas, on a straight dive play handoff. We, had to, we must have ran that play 40 times because Sears would be five yards down when Unitas made his turn to hand it over to him. He'd run and leave the ball. Well, he was, he was so quick, he was so fast, and I was a little bit elated and happy when he couldn't 
and he couldn't make my life miserable no more. And I never would wish anything bad on anybody. But, but man, when you see him as much as we did, we had him twice a year when we were playing the same division. And he was just, you just couldn't stop him. And we had a big, fast line. And thank God he did not have a good offensive line in his career. Because if he did, he would have been doubly hard to tackle. You mentioned Jimmy Brown. What about him? Well, Jimmy is, I guess, a supreme runner. He's a supreme guy. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy did all his in nine years, and he walked out unmarked. And he's got to be the only running back in the history of the game to walk out unmarked. And I, I don't think that anyone can be put in his category, although people are, are going to break his record. You got to remember, they're doing it in 16 games and 14 games, and he did all this in nine. And he walked out the game, and we were happy to see him go too. But he walked out when he could have played another five, ten years. And Brown had to be, without a doubt, pound for pound, just like Will Chamberlain is a basketball, the best. All right, that's it. If Steve had asked Deacon Jones if he was the best pass rusher of all time, I have no doubt that Jones, who actually died in 2013, would have said absolutely. But for all his pass rushing prowess, remember, he was also renowned for coining the word sack. Pretty ironic considering he never officially had one since the term didn't exist while he was playing. Sacks weren't kept as a stat until 1982, eight years after Deacon retired. But unofficially, thanks to our friends at Pro Football Reference, Deacon Jones has the third most sacks of all time, 173.5, behind only Bruce Smith and the great Reggie White. But consider this, from 1964 to 1969, Jones had 115 sacks. So in 84 games, he averaged 1.35 sacks per game. Only two players ever even averaged one sack per game over six seasons, Mark Gastineau and Reggie White. Ah, the late, great Reggie White. Full disclosure, one of my most favorite players ever. Next week, we have Steve's 1997 interview with the Minister of Defense, conducted the summer after Reggie won his first Super Bowl. It's really special to me, and I hope it will be for you as well. You don't want to miss it. Thanks for listening, and I sure hope you'll join us next week. I'm Andrea Kramer. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.